Matthew chapter 23. Uh, back in 2011, I was working at Staples fixing computers. And I remember one time um, that one of my coworkers, uh, they did something wrong. Uh, I did a lot of things wrong, but this specific time, they, they did something wrong. And I remember my boss, uh, the GM coming down from his office and just laying into this coworker of mine uh, in front of people, um, in front of other employees, in front of uh, people who, who were just shopping, trying to, you know, get their computer fixed, you know, whatever, and just having this GM just berate this, uh, this employee in front of everyone. And it was awkward, as you might imagine. Uh, all of us just kind of trying to like look like we weren't paying attention. Because let's be honest, a lot of us were like, what is he getting yelled at for? Um, and as I listened to my GM talk to this uh, employee, uh, I realized that a lot of the things that he was yelling at this guy for were also things that I weren't, wasn't doing at the time. I think it had something to do with those surveys that you get asked and you go like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do the survey at Walmart or whatever and you just never do it. Uh, but it was something like that he wasn't asking. I remember thinking like, I don't do that. Uh, so it was a little awkward, but I kind of learned a little bit from that, even though I wasn't the one necessarily getting yelled at or lectured. Maybe a, a biblical word to use in that would be like a rebuke. Uh, today we're going to walk into an awkward situation, uh, maybe one that you think to yourself, like, it doesn't necessarily concern me, I'm not the one getting yelled at, but maybe, like me back there, just thinking, like, it's, I, I'm, I kind of fall into this boat here and there, uh, maybe we could learn something from this situation, this awkward rant. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, as you might have in your Bible, this is the seven woes uh, to the Pharisees and to the scribes uh, given by Jesus. This is one of those times, you know, everyone wants to talk about Jesus being so nice and compassionate, and he is. Uh, but also, there are a few times when Jesus just lets it rip. He just goes into people, and he, he latches on, and it's vicious. Uh, you know, a guy who gets out a whip and goes into the temple and looking to wreck shop. Uh, he also kind of does it with his words here. All right, so we're walking into this awkward setup, but I think there's a lot for us to find here. So Matthew chapter 23, I'll start reading in verse 13. I'll read through the end of the chapter, so bear with me. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter in yourselves nor allow others who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. 
But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves. You are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape the sentencing to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who feels edified? All right, this, is, this is sharp rebuke. This is condemnation from Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah who came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and constantly getting rejected by the Pharisees. Now we get this final rebuke, this this frustration unleashed by Jesus, righteous frustration released on these Pharisees. Now, it's structured around these seven woes, these seven different times that Jesus says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and calls them all kinds of names. Now, we don't usually do that if you're mad at someone. You don't go, whoa! And woe to you. What are you, David? <laughs> like you don't you don't usually do that. But this was a pronouncement of sorrowful disaster. This was Jesus coming and saying, This this awful thing is going to happen to you because of what you've done. It, it is like if you saw a child playing in the street. 
Like, what would your reaction be? Would it be like, hey, come over here? At least not me. I, I don't do that. If I see a child uh, playing in the street, get out of the street! Right? I'm not going to be like, oh, a nice tone of voice and going to be like, oh, please, come on, come here, sweetheart. No, get out of the street. You're going to yell. This is the extreme version of a loving parent's harsh rebuke. It's, it's when a parent says enough is enough and they just, just let into this individual. Woe to you. It's a verdict. This is what Leon Morris, the commentarian, says. Woe is a verdict as well as an expression of sorrow. So it's not just anger. And we see that at the end, right? Uh, There's sorrow for Jerusalem. How often he would have gathered them together. He, He expresses that he does have love for these individuals. He wanted to be there for them, to be accepted, to be able to share his gospel with them, and for them to be able to accept that and be a part of the kingdom. He wanted that. But... We see the Pharisees reject him over and over and over again. And here comes the judgment. So these seven woes are essentially the opposite of the prosperity gospel. If you think about it, you know, the prosperity gospel says, do this and God will bless you. This is you've done this and God is now cursing. you. God is releasing that anger, that frustration, that wrath. On these individuals. So you might be thinking, all right, again, this is the scribes and the Pharisees. I ain't a scribe, I ain't a Pharisee, does not apply to me, I'm good to go. No, I think there's a lot that we could learn from this. Because really the the key idea of these guys is that these guys are legalists. They're all about following the rules. They're all about the nitty-gritty of the law. And we're going to see that they neglect the big aspects of the law. They're all focused on actions. Do this. Again, prosperity gospel is very similar to this. Do this and you will be blessed. Or do this and you will be holy or accepted by God. Do this, work hard, attain more. That's really like the three keys of being a Pharisee. So... Maybe, as we go through this passage, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, might be saying, hey, I see some legalism here in your life, and let's let's deal with it in a biblical way. So, scribes, Pharisees, they're all about working. Uh, These men were supposed to lead and guide Israel in worship of God, and that's, that's a key thing throughout this passage, because constantly... Jesus is going to call them blind. Blind guides, blind men, blind Pharisees. Uh, So the people who were supposed to guide the people into worship, to be the people to answer all the theological questions and be able to help people on their way in worshiping God, are blind. Not only that, Jesus constantly calls them hypocrites. Now, you've probably heard a bunch of different sermons on what it means to be a hypocrite, that idea of like being two-faced. Uh, that's literally what the word means. So I'm not going to go too deep into that. But this is the constant rebuke of this diatribe. It's really the theme. 
And we see that really in verse 3. Look, look at this summary. And before he even goes into these seven woes, this is the summary that Jesus gives about the Pharisees. Uh, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Ooh, that's harsh. They go into the pulpit like me, and they say, hey, you guys need to be doing that. But they don't do it. Do you know any pastors like that? Do you know any churches like that? Do you know any Christians like that? Have you ever fit into that category before? You preach, but you don't practice. I've heard pastors get up and preach sermons on love, and then they're the most hateful people that you could find. Pastors who have literally gone and preached about John 3.16 and the love that God has for the world and how we should be uh, mirroring that to the world and showing our love and then behind closed doors call me a disease. That, that is happening in the world. That is a pharisaical mindset, a hypocritical mindset. But, you know, it's easy for us to look at others and say, oh, they, they fit the category, they're hypocrites, man. They said this, and then they did this, or they said we should be doing that, and then they didn't do it. But what about us? What about us? Are we talking about loving people and caring for them, and then we don't talk to people, and we don't care for them? Uh, are we, we talk about fellowship a lot. It's a phrase, I, I keep on saying it even. It's stuck in my vocabulary, and I want to kind of get it out. Because we talk about fellowship all the time, but then we don't, we're not friends with each other. Uh, you don't hang out with one another, even as Christians. You don't go and have coffee with one another, but we talk about fellowship. That's hypocritical. Are we loving one another? We could see all different kinds of applications of that in our lives. Just ask yourself what you preach about. What are the main things about God and his word that you talk about a lot? And then ask yourself, do you actually like apply those things into your life? Because if not, then you're fitting right into this and being a hypocrite. So hypocr uh, hypocrisy is a theme of this condemnation. But how? How are these guys, these Pharisees, these scribes, how are they being hypocritical? Well, the first illustration that Jesus gives for that is this idea here in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow others who would enter to go in. Literally slamming the door of heaven in people's faces. Now, God is not saying, Jesus isn't saying that, uh, you know, the Pharisees are responsible for people to go to heaven or hell. Um, but in sharing the gospel, uh, and I, I will just say, uh, the gospel doesn't just start uh, when Jesus ascends into heaven. The gospel has been the message throughout. Believe in God. And then he's shown himself in a few different ways throughout history. We call that dispensationalism. Um, redemptive history is another phrase that you could use to talk about that. So there's been the gospel. There's been a way to please God. And to be in, in perfect relationship with him, to have that relationship, 
That, that's been happening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the Old Testament. All right, so that's been happening, and the Pharisees, they take that and reject it. They take that and, you know, they should be telling others about it and leading others to understanding how they can have a relationship with God and please Him and live a holy life. And they're just slamming the door in people's faces. I wonder if we've slammed any doors in any unbelievers' faces because of our own thoughts about the matter. Now, for them, it goes even beyond that because not only are they slamming the door in people's faces, and God is literally, uh, literally saying they're responsible for people not coming to him, he says, you neither enter in yourself. This condemnation is saying you are in direct contrast to God. In other words, you're on the other side. You're not with God. These people who are supposed to be the spiritual guides, who are supposed to help the people, who are supposed to exemplify what it means to live a holy life in communion with God, they aren't even saved. They haven't entered in to the kingdom. How can you lead others to a place you have not gone yourself. They're unsaved. Now, how are they unsaved? Well, I talked about it a little bit. They added to the gospel. They even added to the law. Do these things. Um, by the way, doing those things wasn't a way to be saved. It was the belief in God, and this is how he wanted us to live our lives. Uh, so, you know, just because you were really good about tithing uh, didn't mean that you were saved. The Pharisees were all about tithing. We'll see that just in a minute. But they didn't have the gospel. They weren't a part of the kingdom. So, how did they, how did they uh, fit into this? Well, they perverted the gospel. So they lost the gospel. And they had a gospel of legalism, those doing things, those working, attaining, all these things. Believe in God and do all these things to maintain this proper relationship with him rather than simply believe. And when you add to the gospel, you lose it. If you add anything to the gospel of that simple John 3.15, believe and you will be saved, just like... Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert. Look, uh, looking to that serpent for the Israelites meant salvation from the disease. In the same way the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, all who look are saved. If you believe in Jesus, that's it. And when you t start adding on this list of things, even good things, going to church, you add that on. And you say, this, you have to believe in Jesus and go to church. You don't have the gospel anymore you got to believe in Jesus and read your Bible every day. You don't have the gospel anymore. Now, should you go to church? Should you read your Bible? Of course. But those are all a, a direct result of that belief. When you start adding on this list of chores for supposed new Christians to do, that's not the gospel anymore. So, uh, I've titled this, this sermon, Seven Keys for a Woeful Life Now. And the first key, the first thing is make the gospel void by adding more. Make the gospel void, nothing, that it doesn't matter. You rob the gospel of all its power 
by adding anything to it. Now, let's look at just how zealous these guys were. Uh, for you neither enter in yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Verse 15, the second woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So look at the effort. Like, it seems like at the beginning, like, oh, Jesus might be starting to build him up a little bit after the woe part, set that side apart. You know, like, oh, look at the effort. Look at the diligence. They travel across the sea. They work so hard just to find one proselyte. That sounds pretty good. But the bad thing is, is that all that work is nothing. It reminds me of the guys in the white shirts knocking on your door. At least they used to. Now they send you letters. Right? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all these different cults working so hard. Going around talking to all kinds of people. I mean, do we do that? First, I think it's a little weird to go knocking on doors these days. I know maybe you have different thoughts on the matter. But building those relationships with people, working hard to develop good, solid friendships with individuals. Uh, so, of course, you can get the gospel to them. That's, that's not the point. It's not just the work. It's not about the work. It's not about crossing the sea, crossing all this stretch of land just to find one. You know, maybe an application for Baptists would be having a really good bus ministry. Like so many Baptist churches, they're all about their bus ministry. Well, if they don't have the proper heart in it, that doesn't mean anything. Just to get one proselyte. So passion and dedication were not the Pharisees' problem. It wasn't that they weren't working hard enough. It wasn't that they weren't sincere or diligent in what they were doing. And Jesus even says, you know, if you, if you get this guy, this proselyte, so someone who would convert to Judaism, if you get this guy, what's the result? Not that you've gained a new one for the kingdom. No. You gained him for another kingdom. Calls him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So, double rebuke. He's saying that you, Pharisee, legalist, you are a child of hell. You're part of Satan's family. And then if you get that proselyte and he actually converts, you know, I'll put it like this, converts, because it wasn't real Judaism. If he does come over, and he's twice as bad as you. Now we see that. like the, This is him basically saying, hey, you get a disciple. And they kind of resemble you. We're t we talked about being a father, God being the father. And we kind of uh, absorb some things of our physical fathers, our, our family. We take on those traits. Well, you take on the traits of your teacher, right? So these guys, these proselytes who would become uh, converts to Judaism under these Pharisees, under these scribes they'd end up twice as bad as their teachers. Well, we know some folk like that. I put it this way, the gospel is not about grit, it's about grace. It's not about how hard you work. It's not about the things you do. It's about God's grace alone. 
already talked about it 503 years ago and today. Uh, Martin Luther nailing those 95 theses. What was that about? It was about salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, the solas, the gospel. And they lost that. The famous story of Martin Luther going to Rome, trying to represent his order in a dispute. And he goes to one of the, the, the main structures there, and there's people, and they're praying on the steps. Every step they take, they take a prayer, uh, take a moment to pray, uh, to try to you know, get somebody out of purgatory, their, their uncle, their aunts, you know, their child, whatever. Uh, try to lower their, their punishment there. And Martin Luther does it and goes up the stairs. At the end, he goes, who can know? Looking at all the hard work these people were doing, getting on their knees, praying every step, such diligence. And yet it doesn't matter. Who can know? That's what legalism is. So the first key, make the gospel void by adding more. The second key, enforce legalism on new converts. I get so frustrated with some pastors when they get someone and they believe the gospel, whether it's genuine or not, and they, they come into the church and they're like, all right, well, now you got to put on a tie. Now you got to, you know, come to Sunday school right off the bat, you know, like all these rules, and they, like, force them on these guys. You don't see that in Scripture. We should have the Holy Spirit working in their life. That's between them and the Lord. We can, you know, try to encourage them, but... You know, to put all these restrictions on new converts, that's what the Pharisees were about. Let's look at the third one here, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So again, this idea of them being blind guides. Have you ever gotten bad directions? Like here in Saskatchewan, I really struggle with directions because they're like once you see that third sign take a right you know half a kilometer after that and it's like wait what <laughs> uh, go on go on the uh, the gray road not the white road and they both look gray things like that um, bad directions maybe maybe for some people would be good directions not for me that's what the pharisees were like they were blind guides just given the worst kind of advice the worst kind of instruction one of them was exemplified through this, this idea of swearing. Now, some people get it wrong and say, okay, well, um, you know, swearing is all, always wrong. You know, not, not, you know, saying a cuss word, but uh, saying, I, I swear to God this. You know, of course, we know the scripture passage that we should let our yay be yay and our nay be nay, right? Um, but here, he doesn't condemn the swearing. He doesn't say you should not swear. 
but it's how they were swearing. They were making these promises, these legal obligations to one another, these deals, and they were saying, I swear by, and the example given is the gold of the temple. This is what the Pharisees were giving instruction to people, saying this is how you should swear. That it matters if you say the gold of the temple. You've got to be specific. Swear by the gold, not just the temple. Swear by uh, the altar, not, not what's on the altar. And definitely not, not to God. Just focus on these things. And that's really the key of what Jesus is condemning them here for. They were so focused on these material things. Spurgeon calls them willfully foolish and willingly blind. And their blindness is shown here by them so focused on material things. They focus on the minor. And they're missing the big picture. Because it's not the gold that's important. What's important? You know, I just said something very positive about Spurgeon using this quote. I'll say one thing. It's the first time I've ever run into anything with Spurgeon that I've been like, you're just wrong. Because uh, he's saying, oh, it's about the temple. But I think the key here is later in verse 21. What makes that swearing uh, important or valid? And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. It's not the temple. It's the God who lives in the temple. All right, he, he is there. He dwells in it. So when you swear on something so minor, you're neglecting the fact that, no, you're swearing to God. Focusing on the minor, missing the big point. Focusing on trivial things. How many pastors, how many churches, how many Christians do you know fit into that category? And I know for a fact I've been there. Focusing on these little minute details. Focusing on someone's, you know, hobby horse of, you know, whatever, whatever theological subject even. The temple is a theological subject. It's theology. And he's saying, don't just focus on that. Focus on the God who dwells in it. So even good things can become distractions. So number three, focus on spiritual things rather than on God. That is one key to living a woeful life. So the question then is for us. Are we focused on the temple or the God who dwells in it? Now, the Pharisees rejected God for legalism. And even in that, they forget the main aspects of that legalism. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So even in their legalism... They don't even focus on the main things that they should be legalistic. If you wanted to be legalistic about anything, be legalistic about justice. Be legalistic about righteousness. If you were to think logically, those should be the things you'd be legalistic about. But they don't even get that right. They don't even know how to be legalist. They focus on, on the spices, how much spice you, you tithe. And I think there's a point in that that Jesus is literally talking about like the lightest thing that you could imagine, spices, versus this weighty thing of justice and righteousness and mercy and faithfulness. So they neglected those things. 
Um, that word means abandon. It's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, it's the word used for divorce. So in their minds, they divorce these big important things and focus instead on these trivial things that don't matter. Not nearly as much, at least. Because Jesus is going to say you should have still tithe with the, the spices. You sh still should have done that eventually, but you focus on these things first. It's about priorities. So, uh, just a couple things here. Why do legalists focus on details and abandon the whole point? And they constantly do it. Number one, they have not entered the kingdom, so they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. Number two, they like the proselyte are stuck with a legalistic mindset. Maybe they were uh, discipled by some legalist and, and so they end up being very legalistic number three it's easier to accomplish than to please God doing focusing on these things these tangible things so much easier than loving people it's so much easier than uh, like Paul says having having captured every thought uh, put them captive uh, basically being like I've I've gained control over my thought process for the glory of God. That's hard. Well, you know what's easy? I can give you some spices. <laughs> so they focus on what's easier. It gives the legalist control over salvation, or at least supposed control over their salvation and spiritual growth. It's hard to grow as a Christian. We have to go through a lot. We have to get a lot of uh, principles, biblical principles beaten into us by the Holy Spirit through difficult situations in our lives. That's a difficult thing for us to go through as a Christian. It's hard to, to mature in Christ. But what's easy and what gives us that control and I think that power is to say, no, all I have to do is this. It's easier and it makes that uh, me really the one who's in charge of how this goes rather than relying on the Holy Spirit. Number five, it allows legalists to decide what's important. I get to say what I focus on. Not God. Not these big things that he's already told me. Um, I mean, you can go to all different kinds of passages, and you can learn, and I think it's Isaiah 1, verse 17, do good, seek justice. Right? We, are, we are to do these things, but, you know, I don't want to listen to God. I want to do what I want. So let me focus on the spices. So number four, abandon the whole of the law to chase specifics. Now let's, let's land this plane here pretty quick. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them. This is something that Christians do all the time. Uh, if I was there, I would not have done that thing. If I was a part of this, if I was alive back then, you know, think about it uh, with Easter. I wouldn't have cried for Barabbas, right? I wouldn't have said crucify him. Yeah, you would have. Yeah, you would. You would have jumped in with the crowd just like everybody else. There's this, there's this thing with legalists. They deceive themselves. They deceive themselves by thinking that they're uniquely holy. That they're different. They're different than anybody else. They get it. And say, oh, I, I'm holy. 
And I wouldn't have done like those guys would. They deceived themselves by uh, even here in verse 27. What are you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Earlier he talks about the cup being full of greed and self-indulgence. They deceive themselves into thinking that they're holy. So that's number five for you. Deceive yourself into thinking that you're holy when really it's just the outside that's clean, the outside that looks good. And on the inside, that, that idea of being full, like you think of it like a bowl. Or maybe, maybe your cup of coffee, have you ever filled it up too much and it's splashing all over? It's full. That's, that's what the Pharisees are like. That's what the legalists are like. On the outside, it looks clean, but on the inside, it's full of filth. All kinds of gross stuff. Greed, self-indulgence. They're like whitewashed tombs, which, I mean, as far as some of the, uh, some of the things Jesus says to these guys, this is probably one of the worst. Because, I mean, there's nothing more unclean than dead things in the law. Like, if you touch a dead thing, you got to go, you know, the original quarantine. <laughs> you have to go and quarantine yourself for a while. Like that, you know, like uh, Samson, he wasn't supposed to touch dead things, right? Like, that, that's unclean. And Jesus is saying, you're like one of those tombs. On the outside, you look great, whitewashed. On the inside, you're full of dead things, full of unclean things. All kinds of sin running rampant on the inside. So, number five, deceive yourself into thinking you're holy. Number six, deceive others into thinking you're holy. Boy, do we know people like that. Every year, I mean, maybe I should keep a tally of, of the pastors that fall. Every year there's another one. Every year there's someone you respect. And who you thought this guy was a, was a real Christian. And then you find out what they were doing on the side. Latest one, Ravi Zacharias. I don't know what you think about him. Go look him up on Google. All kinds of awful things he's been up to. Like th This is what happens when you have a legalistic mindset. You appear good to others. But on the inside, it's full of gross sin. It's full of death. It's full of decay. <clears throat> They deceive themselves into thinking they're holy. They deceive others into thinking they're holy. And yes, they deceive themselves into thinking that they are uniquely holy. So while the Pharisees are obviously unsaved throughout this, Jesus is talking to them as unbelievers. Even believers can fall into the same type of legalism. Uh, they can fall into a lifestyle of legalistic habits. And we have to ask ourselves, have we done that? Am I trying to look good to everybody in this room when there's all kinds of stuff on the inside? You know, it might not be those things that go in the news and say, oh, this person, you know, was embezzling. Or uh, this person caught in all kinds of sexual immorality and all these headlines. Uh, it might be something as just so much pride. Thinking you're better than everybody else might be something of just so unloving. You never talk to anybody. There could be all kinds of sin. What, what is that? And have you fallen into that, that trap of trying to deceive everybody, play this game of, you know, say the right things to this person so that they think that you're a good Christian? On the inside, you're not dealing with things. What is that? 
Again, I'll just say it. The gospel isn't about grit, it's about grace. And that involves your salvation, how you get saved. It also involves your spiritual growth. That too is by grace alone. It's you relying on the Holy Spirit to do the work. Are you doing that? Are you trying to hold on to things that you are trying to find some enjoyment in or they make you feel good, feel better than someone else? Are you one of those whitewashed tombs? Are you one of those filthy cups? Are you one of those Pharisees? I don't know. I've stopped judging. And I've stopped making decisions about people. I'll, I'll let God do that and who I think is a great Christian because we see so many big guys on platforms, little guys in pews. We see people fall all the time because they're trying to look great to everybody else, trying to keep up the image. On the inside is just death. And we know Ephesians chapter 2. What spiritual good thing can come from spiritual death? Zip. God has to do the work. God has to do the work in redeeming someone, quickening them, to use a King James word, making them alive, and maintaining spiritual growth in that person's life as they rely on him for it. So are you relying on him? Let's pray.